Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything. Mr. Curiosity. All right, folks, Joe Snedeker here, Mr. Curiosity, and uh, I've got a big one today. I don't know. I got a big one. I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited and nervous. I'll be honest with you. This is, uh, I think it's episode number 54, three, something like that. I'm becoming a veteran of podcasting, and I have Joseph W. Scotchless from Joseph W. Scotchless Funeral Home in Simpson, Lackawanna County. How you doing, Joe? Good morning, Joe. How are you? All right. So I've done everyone in this podcast from, you know, politicians, leaders, weird leprechauns, the owner of Mrs. T's pierogies, ex WNEP and current WNEP employees. We've done them all. Okay. But, but never I've seen them, but never a mortician. <laughs> now, remember, well, this will be different for both of us. Yeah. So the title of the podcast is Mr. Curiosity. And I think the best things come naturally. And I'm a curious guy. I don't know if you know that. There's all these things I'm curious about. And okay. Of, and of course, your business, the things you do, I've thought about my whole life. I think every human being fears death. They're worried about death. They, they, they concentrate on death, even though you put it in the side of your brain. You don't even want to think about it. And here, your career is dealing with death, right? I mean, that... that Absolutely. Yeah. So, so this is where I thought we'd start simply with how do you become you? Okay. Well, um, each state is different, but in Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania requires, however you get it, uh, a total of 60 credit hours or essentially an associate's degree. Um, when I went, I went to a private school. So you had to go to 12 months of mortuary school. Now, a lot of it is picked up by community colleges. So they integrate it, and then uh, essentially a year of internship. And, and it seems like a lot of cases, but definitely not all, that it's usually like a family enterprise, isn't it? Did you get that from an uncle, a parent, or someone? or, or you No, just... at the time, I was, I was a little different. I was not. Um, but you're correct. Many of the businesses are years old, hundreds of years old, and they're passed down from generation to generation. I purchased two businesses here in Simpson and combined them. Um, one was the old Powell family. One was the old Peco family that go back into the beginning of the 1900s. Well, you have to. So here's the deal. Let's let's be right out there and honest and pure. Don't be offended. Okay. When, when someone says in there in high school, they want to study weather or meteorology. What's the first thing people think? Oh, what a little nerd. Right. I mean, come on. That's a little nerdy. That's me. And then when someone says if they're in high school or eight, 17, 18, I want to be a mortician, funeral director. I think the, the natural human reaction, whether it's right or wrong, is, wow, that it's guy's creepy. a little creepy. <laughs> it's so, creepy. Absolutely. So, <laughs> Absolutely. Unless you're in a family business where they kind of accept that, that that's what you've done yeah, and that's what yeah. your family has done. I actually went into it later in life. So actually... I um, volunteered locally in the community ambulance service. So my belt, my background is emergency services and healthcare. Um, so I did that in the probably the mid seventies before I even got out of high school. And then I worked for uh, the county uh, through the first paramedic program out of CMC and then for a private ambulance service. And I slowly developed an interest for the funeral service. So it's not like something that I thought of back in high school. 
Oh, okay. That's interesting. I didn't know that. In full disclosure, we're friends. Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah. Joe was Joe kind enough to take care of the needs of uh, my family member when, uh, when duty called. And uh, you're a great guy and a good service to the community. And you're a good community member. You got it all, man. Everybody loves you. So it's yeah, nice thanks. to know then. So that wasn't in you from like 14, 15, 16, mortician, funeral director. No, I mean, I think there was a little bit of curiosity, like Mr. Curiosity, but, <laughs> but I didn't I didn't follow through on it. Um, and the neat thing is, being in the small town we're here, um, most of the generation before us, they're, they're kind of, you know, dwindling out now, but they watched me grow up, okay? So my father's family had a, a service station in town that yep. I worked at through high school and college. Uh, and then when I came back to town and made the move to the other side of the bridge, <laughs> and came on the big side of the bridge uh you know we we purchased the business and that the town was very welcoming very supportive and they've been throughout my whole life you know simpson yeah i can say nothing bad about people have been embraced me very well you got that right definitely a uh a deep ethnic loving community but Absolutely. now so that you told me this the emergency service part so even though i'm a science guy i'm a physical science guy i never liked the biological sciences because I wasn't big on dissections. I wasn't big on gory stuff and seeing, you know, the internal structure of animals. Being that you were an EMT for a while, you started then being exposed to trauma, to death, to the negative consequences of life on human beings, correct? So you're, you're already getting- Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can tell you, no matter what you think about or what anyone thinks about as far as the funeral business goes, to a certain point, the ambulance service um, gets into a little more gore because the people are alive still. Yeah. So what yeah. they see is is uh, is pretty pretty unusual. Pretty unusual. And I hate to say it, Sometimes. Joe, but this is this is also human nature. I hate to say it. If you're not accustomed to seeing anything, most things in life, they're gonna freak you out. But in your business, I guess when you start. Early on in your seeing when you were an EMT, trauma, death, suffering, and then you start building a career on dealing with humans that are dead. It, I don't want to say it becomes a little numbing, but you probably just become a more accustomed to it. Yeah, you have to, right? It's well, a human nature. Yeah, absolutely. You do. I mean, it's not like, you know, certain cases or certain families or people that you're, you know, a little closer to. So it, it, you know, pulls a little on the emotional side of you or children or just about anybody. But to a certain point, you're, you're removed from it. It's, it's, you know, yeah. not that you're being callous to it, but you're a little bit removed about it. I mean, I don't think any one person could grieve emotionally for every funeral service they, they handled or, you know, they'd be getting psych treatment somewhere. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you got to distance yourself. It becomes a business, a caring, loving business. But yeah, you're right. You're removed from it. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, you know, unfortunately, there's only so much that any, you know, funeral director mortician is going to do for the deceased. You get to a certain point and you've reached the end. But it's it's also, you know, good to know that you've had great family relationships for the, the family that survives the deceased and how you work with them and the choices they make and the relationships you make with them, that that's, that's a rewarding point. And, and everybody comes in from a different walk of life, a different thought, a different mindset as to, you know, 
especially now, as opposed to when I started 37 years ago in Simpson, what they want out of the funeral service or what they what their needs are. Because it's new to everybody. Yeah. yeah. It's usually a new thing and you're the expert, but we'll get to that later. I, I right. got to build up to that. I got to build up to that. So here's what I'm wondering. Some of these, and you may not even know, but I'm sure you do because you're filled with all this knowledge. Let's say you and I are hiking on the Appalachian Trail. Okay. We're in the middle of nowhere, right? You don't have a cell phone or there's no cell phone service. I get bit by a snake. I'm dead. That's it. It's over. You can't call anyone. It's getting dark out. You're going to stay the night. You got to bury me. You're going to dig a hole and you're going to bury me. That in itself is not illegal. You had no other option, I guess. But yet, if I have 100 acres in Bradford County and grandma dies, I can't just bury her, correct? What are these rules now for, for when someone does die? What, what does the state say you have to do? Well, I'm not sure about the Appalachian Trail example, but anyway. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? Leave me there? Well, I, I, I let's say you're hours you know and hours away from civilization. You have to bury yeah. me. You're not going to leave me there. So anyway, yeah, you have to in most areas or at least in Pennsylvania, if you have an area on your own property, we've, we've been involved with this where people will take a certain amount of land that doesn't happen very very frequently but i've been involved with it once or twice where they actually take it out of their deed and it becomes a a family cemetery oh and i didn't was, know that you can do that but you have to go through a number of hoops and papers and yeah, make that right family yeah. cemetery yeah and you need to have so much beginning property it's not like you can you know bury some in the backyard here in simpson but uh <laughs> right if you yeah if you have if you have property you can actually legally do it um but for the most part in Pennsylvania, the funeral director, you know, is required for filing the death certificate, and that's how the state and the federal government keep statistics on us. Um, also, what happens is, and then we obtain our, our burial permits. Uh, years ago, there was a, an opportunity for those in the Amish sect to care for their own families and do their own burials in their cemeteries. Um, but with the advent of electronic death certificates now, that's wow. pretty much gone. So for the most part, they all use a funeral home. I have a friend that's down in that area. And, and for the most part, they all use a funeral home in one sense or another, whether it's just for the filing of the paperwork or if it's, in, you know, embalming preparations or actually providing the entire funeral service. So there's no way of getting around you guys. Uh, for the most part, I would say that, you know, you'd have to use a funeral home or a funeral director at, yeah. at some point somewhere, you know, every there's state, different amount of services. A lot of states pretty similar. Like Mo most of the states are, are similar. Some of them are actually a little more stringent. Yeah. Um, you know, Pennsylvania is, is a little bit more, slightly more lenient. New York has a little, uh, little stronger rules, I would say. You know, I can tell you're is. uncomfortable, though, with the uh, Appalachian Trail question. You don't know what to do with me. <laughs> I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I, don't know that, I don't know that burying directly is, is the answer on that. You, one, so you, I, you, because you have to return to civilization, which is hours and hours away. You can't just leave my body there. What are you going to do? You better bury me or an animal's going to eat me. 
yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. Why do I want to be saying that that's the right thing to do? <laughs> somebody shoot somebody on the Appalachian Trail and bury them, and they said, "Oh, you got bit by a snake." And Scott <laughs> said it was okay to bury him there. Yeah, I, I don't know if I want to go down that rabbit. Hole. Okay, see, folks, he's trying to be too politically correct. I love it. I love it. All right, we won't go on the Appalachian Trail hiking together. Okay, let's just. All right, that. we won't do that. <laughs> so, so is when let's well let's have a different scenario let's say i'm living alone um and let's say it's me and i pass out for natural reasons and i'm dead um could could you what's the first thing let's say the ups looks in the window and he sees me and who does he call what's the first thing he does he would call the police 911 when do you come into the scene is what i'm wondering but much later much later because any unattended death is going to be investigated by the coroner's office. So coroner always first. Our coroner is always first. That's the legal authority, um, and they determine the cause, manner, and no matter what, a coroner must be involved first. Like let's say it's a husband and wife, and the husband has a heart attack, then the wife calls nine one one. Is the coroner going to come over? They're going to be notified whether is that they right? physically come to the scene or not. They're going to be notified. Yeah, and at their option and discretion. They can either investigate it further or not. No, I Just see. like the coroner is notified on every single cremation that happens, on any medical donation that happens, any unattended death, any death after surgery, oh, uh, interesting. any trauma, homicide, suicide, anything like that. Coroner's office is actually a very powerful office in relationship to death investigation. No, I did not know that. Okay, so then continue on with the scenario. The coroner comes over, uh, pronounces the body dead, does proper paperwork, filing with the county or whatever, and then what? Then, then, then the family can say, okay, call Joe, and then we would either come to the residence if that's where the decedent was still at, or you know, take the deceased into our care from the coroner's office if they had transported it there. And so, then, you know, well, so yeah, that's what I'm curious about. So it's out, you, so you're visiting a lot of you, you are the guy aside from the, the, the official um, coroner or, 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 or EMT or, or county person, you're the next guy to show up. So you've seen right. it all. Yeah. Yeah. And early on in the career, I actually did some work for one of the county coroners around here where we actually did the transferring. Um, so when they had a death, we would go to the home and then, you know, help them transport the uh, person into our care until the family decided, you know, which funeral home they were going to use or what was going to happen. But well, that we must be working. difficult. That was got to be a difficult stage then, because you, you know, you're, you're, you're almost first on scene for a lot of these things, second or third. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, you know, I guess the background in the ambulance business helped that a lot. Because yeah, yeah, that's right. You don't know what you were that person, right? Right. So, so yeah. when is a morgue involved? I'm sorry. When is a morgue involved, as opposed to? I guess what I'm saying is there are there are is there a county morgue everywhere, or does the body go to the morgue or right to your facility, or is that the same thing? I'm not sure of all that. What's going on in my head here? Well, currently, you know, in today's standard, yeah they go to um you know a more either a mortuary which is a funeral home um at the family request if the coroner has released it or if not they go to the coroner's office so like in Lackawanna County Timmy Rowland is the coroner Tim has an office over in Dunmore and where they would bring the deceased um 
they have a forensic pathologist, they chose to do an autopsy, oh. um, and then the person is released from there. So although Pennsylvania has a coroner system, by and large, the coroner can request an autopsy, the coroner may not legally do an autopsy, because in most cases, they're not a physician. This is the part that always bothered me. Okay, so I'm a healthy 56-year-old guy right now, but who knows what's going on internally? Let's say I'm dead tonight at six o'clock. By eight, nine, 10 o'clock tonight, there could be an autopsy on me. And it's against, that's like the farthest thing from my mind that I can be on some table and, and there is a, a, a professional taking apart my body. That could be happening tonight correct well or tomorrow morning you know they, usually don't, work <laughs> they don't work late night but i yes, guess what i'm yes, saying is if yes, someone dies yes, and they need yes. to find out why if yes. my wife is right here and saying no i don't want you to do this that, that it's going to happen depending upon the circumstances of what they think is going on what's happening what the environment is what if it looks a little suspicious get. i guess if yeah I, essentially that's what i'm trying to say yeah if it looks a little suspicious um, someone in your age group, probably they would question a little bit more, you know, a 90 year old gentleman, probably not, especially if he's been seeing his physician and has, you know, a whole host of medical problems. Right. So it depends upon the circumstance. But because I was always in the impression that like it's somehow related to a crime, autopsies, crime, uh, something uh, taboo happened, but not necessarily if it's just something that no one has the correct answer to, they're going to do an autopsy. And there's nothing- or, or at least they have the option of doing the autopsy. Just like when someone chooses, so, you know, we take it one step further and you and Dawn says, you know, she wants to cremate Joe and get rid of Joe quickly. Um, <laughs> we, st we still have to wait legally 24 hours in the state of Pennsylvania. So we have to- 24 hours from what? The time of death? From the time you're pronounced, yeah. And that gives the coroner's office that additional oh. 24 hours- to investigate the death should Just they want to. Just in case it's fishy and right, the body right. is burned and now there's no evidence. Right. Oh, that's right. interesting. Yeah. So Pennsylvania is 24. I know Florida is, I think, 48 hours or so. Each state is different, but, you know, there's a little gap in there so that you can't essentially, you know, uh, murder someone and then, you know, hope to get away with it real easily. So if anyone's listening, uh, never push cremation, never push cremation. It's suspicious. <laughs> Speaking of on a similar topic, I remember when I was in college and I was studying, I took a, a few graduate level biological courses. And do I have this right in the first eight hours of most deaths? I think it's the first eight, nine, 10 hours. The body is getting rigid, but it's still a little flexible. Or, right. or, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Regan Morris will come into the deceased and then probably leave 24 to 48 hours thereafter. It's, so it's, it's like after down. 10 hours, you're, you're getting rigor mortis. You're fairly stiff, right? But then it Correct. leaves a day or two after that or something like that? Yeah, 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 it does. I mean, it, it can occur much quicker than the 10 hours by far. It, it, it can start taking shape in, in a matter of a couple of hours. But usually within a day or two, it will actually start releasing or dissipating so in that period not that i'm trying to be too gory but we are curious about this so in that period where it's stiffening how stiff i mean are we talking like a piece of plywood is it very rigid or like stiff stiff it, it's stiff but body you can actually 
exercise the joints. Okay, so, so you take, it, take an arm and move the arm. And oh, I see. It, but it's it stiff initially, be, but you're going to start working it. Right. And it will essentially break up or move or leave for that period of time. Yeah. So you're not breaking anything, but I, I guess I, I forget the process that happens. Do you remember that? Do you know what's happening that causes that stiffness, that rigor? Uh, it's a it's a change in the, the chemical imbalance yeah, in, I remember in the like, body. I, I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I didn't mean to put you on the spot. That's getting no, away, that's okay. But, but I did yeah. I remember I studied all that too. And there was different stages, rigor mortis, algal mortis, or something. I you know, it's funny. well, algal mortis is rigor mortis is, is you know, the stiffness, essentially. Right. Alger mortis is the coldness of the body. Oh, okay. All right. Liber mortis is the, the uh, blood settling in the dependent parts of the body. Gotcha. So if the body is laying face up, the blood is going to settle towards essentially the back or the bottom of the body. Oh, I it's see. always going to go with gravity. So, you know, when you see your crime scene stories and, you know, somebody came and rolled the body over and the, the body oh, was still yeah, blue yeah. in the face, well, the body was actually phased down in the beginning, probably, oh, or at least most times. So could you see that visibly, like in the flesh, like the, there's the blood oh, pooling? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 So if yeah, I were on my side, you would see half of my face, maybe one color and the other half, not so much. Depending upon how long it was laying. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. And we've all seen the dead animals on the side of the road, deer bloated. That'll happen to a human too. The bacteria decomposition causes gases and that bloats Right. Up. And that's that's one of the reasons why we actually do the embalming preparation to, you know, not only somewhat preserve the body, but more importantly, to stop or slow that process down. Yeah. Because so how, I guess bacteria will take anything. They'll, they'll break down anything, skin, bone, uh, muscle. So how does that, and I wanted to get into the preparation a little bit later on, but what the heck we're there now. So how does the fluids that you replace stop the bacteria? Is it just too toxic for them and they don't even bother? Um, it, it's, it stiffens or coagulates with protein and carbohydrates. So, you know, the, the basic thing that we use at the funeral home, most laboratories use, hospitals use to fix tissue is some type of formalin. Formalin is, is, is an alcohol base is what it really right. is. Uh, but that's what they use. And once it, it affixes to the tissue, it preserves it and holds it for a period of time. Oh, I see. So there's less food for the bacteria. Right. Because right. the bacteria don't want to work on that alcohol. So a typical human body, I guess, when you receive it, the draining of this thing is, what, what do we have? Like one and a half gallons of blood? Uh, I'm trying to picture a gallon of milk, maybe a gallon and a half of fluids come out of a typical human. Yeah, Less. something like that, so, somewhere like that. I mean, I think there was something where um, I had read one time, it's, you know, somewhere in the area of around a gallon per 50 or 75 pounds of body weight. Oh, yeah, that makes sense then. So about a gallon and a half. But is that just going down the drain and into the treatment plant like anything else you would put down the drain? Yeah, we, we're doing the same thing that they do in the hospital, that they do in a nursing home when or, or, you know, if, if you're sick at home and blood goes down the drain, it's, it's pretty much all the same thing. They're the um, treatment plants are capable of, of handling that and breaking it down. In addition to, there is some secondary dilution with the formaldehyde. So some of that is actually going out with the blood. So some of that oh, is, yeah. is being treated on the way. 
No, but you're right. We have this, we have this, it's kind of a, it's, it's an, it's a, maybe it's a narcissism where we think how dare our fluids be added to the earth, but we are just an animal of the earth. So, you know, blood going into the treatment plant is a lot better than a, a can of turpentine or Lysol, you know, or anything else you use at your house. We're natural. We're a part of the planet. Well, in some religious beliefs, number one, they may not embalm, or number two, they want any, you know, blood to be buried with the deceased. Oh, so I did I had, not know that. You know, so I had a, a gentleman at one time that the family was in an accident. Um, there was blood, and they actually went back and, and brought the blood mixed with the dirt and was buried with the person. Oh, that's interesting. In, in the grave, you know what I mean? Well, so that brings up a question I had then. We always hear about people who say, I want to be buried with. What if a guy like me who's a cyclist says, I want uh, my bike to be buried with me? I mean, do you, do you have no, to No, if die? you got money, we'll figure it out. <laughs> so yes, yeah, you could, you could do certain things. I mean, there's always the you know the the story not, where you're not going to put a Corvette in the in the grave, right? I mean, but I think there is. I think there is one of those somewhere that somebody did. I don't, you know, I don't know, but I've I've read about it. I don't know what exactly the background is to it. Whether you have to remove all the oil, the yeah, gasoline, right, right. You right. have to buy multiple graves. I I don't know the the full um, story behind that, but I do in fact know that uh, at least there was stories or pictures of someone being buried in an automobile so without automobile. without disrespecting all of your customers nor no specifics of course have you done uh items like bikes or something kind of larger and unusual or not no, that's no, not, I, common. I not very common not very common no i i haven't been involved with any of that directly no huh no that's interesting could could uh i wonder if you so now if a husband and wife my wife and i we, we, i don't know we both have uh heart attacks at the same time and i say let's let's put it's in my will two of us in one casket <laughs> that, to... <laughs> that, yeah that's not going to work too well that's, that's not going to work gonna, okay. that's not going to work too well although we've we've been in, i've been involved with uh, a mother and a child or, well, okay, children right. or something like that so you know that that has happened well that brings up something i just thought of and i am such an irresponsible idiot I am 56 years old and I still do not have a will. If I were to die today, my poor wife's going to say, I don't know what he wanted. Did he want, did he want this casket? Did he want cremation? Did he want nothing? Did he, I have nothing done. So how does that all work? Is it just because they always say the funeral is not for the dead, but the living. So now it's up to everyone, the loved ones to decide usually, correct? Yeah, and, and I mean, so there's two different things there that you're talking about. No, number one is a will. So, right. I mean, talking about me personally, my wife and I made a will when our first child was born. I mean, we didn't own much of anything. We had a lot of mortgages and a lot of debts, but we <laughs> wanted to decide if we were killed together, like you're saying, what would happen to the care, custody, control of that child? Right. Where would that go? Right. You know, to us, that was paramount. That was our most valuable thing right, we right, had right, was right. our child. Um, you know, and as you get, you know, as the children get older, uh, you, didn't, you know, you start acquiring things as a home and, and possessions and stuff. So the will goes through and, you know, says where those items are going to go, be it your wife, be it children or, you know. Right, that sort of stuff. Community donations. 
Um, the other thing you were talking about is more funeral arrangements or pre-arrangements, which we- Isn't that do. done as a part of the will or no? No, I'm, that's not usually? So not fully in the will. It's not fully in the will. A lot of times they're done at the same time, but the total funeral arrangements are usually not in the will. Uh, because sometimes, or a lot of times, the will is open or read after the funeral service. Oh, oh, so you're telling me and people like me, get off your rear end and make funeral arrangements now. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I encourage it for everyone so that people have an idea or your family has an idea, you know, what do you want? Do you want a viewing? You don't want a viewing? You want to be buried? You want to be cremated? You're going to donate your body? to science, what, what direction do you want to go? And, and people have some ideas to what you want. So I'm wondering then if I have, so you have to honor what, what the, if I come to you and arrange my funeral and I say, I want uh, disco lights, no video wall, no pictures, blah, blah, blah. And it's semi-bizarre, but we signed this document. I don't tell anybody, then I'm dead. And then my wife sees this and goes, what was he thinking? We're not doing that. I'm sorry, Joe. We're going to change this around. Does that ever happen? Does it get complicated? It can. I mean, there's cases that have gone to court because, you know, one, one part of the family wants to do one thing and another part of the family wants to do something else. I don't think that happens very often. Um, you know, naturally, like anybody else, you try to reach a compromise it's, it's right. a difficult time when someone's gone, you know, passes away, but, you know, you try to ho hope that the family honors the person's wishes as best that that person wanted, and yet give the family that's left, you know, some fulfillment and some uh, ability to grieve, but yet not be turned upside down in turmoil because of, you know, what the person has decided. Oh, so sometimes there could be a little leeway. Yeah, I mean, we're... we're I'm thinking of bizarre a, scenarios. I admit that. I'm thinking of things you'll probably never encounter. I guess. Yeah, that. I mean, for the most part, people will, will try and we try to follow your wishes as, as much as possible. And, and quite frankly, most times we follow the wishes 100%. It's just if the family, the next of kin, you know, your wife says, nah, we're, we're going to compromise. Joe wanted a viewing, um, but he wanted to be buried and i think now that i'm going to move to cape coral and i'm going to have him <laughs> cremated and, and take you... him with me <laughs> i have a That's... son that lives there I was... <laughs> you do yeah my listen that's a long story my mother-in-law <laughs> has a place there so that's actually pretty pretty possible what you're saying there now <laughs> so what happens is because you know America's become transient, right? We, we move a lot, family moves a lot. You know, I have a son that lives in Cape Coral. I have another guy that's, that's moving to Binghamton. My daughter is doing traveling nursing and is in Philadelphia. So that's what has changed and made changes in the funeral um, customs and business because people are moving. Yeah, I guess so. Um, so where so years ago, it, you know, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry to bother you. Years ago, it was what? It was... Different. Well, everybody came back, right? Years ago, yeah. uh, they came back to Simpson or they came back to wherever they were originally from. Now they came back from the service, but maybe they decide to, you know, take them back to where they're currently living at. 
you know, um, mom is here, dad passed away, mom's going to go live with the children, mom doesn't want dad left here, um, and, and either she, A, buries him here and she's going to come back to be buried, or B, they're, they're going somewhere totally different. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. So, but, but I'm still curious. So there is a little bit of a leeway there. I didn't realize that. And sometimes in my cases, let's say I am deceased and my wife says, um, let's do this, maybe cremation. And my three kids are like, no, let's give them a funeral. I mean, how does, do you kind of try to persuade them in a certain direction or do you let them decide or fight it out? You almost have to be like a counselor. I mean, it's ultimately their decision. And in that scenario, it's ultimately your wife's decision. Oh, okay. She gets to say she's that she's the next of kin. She gets to say, but you, you know, you try to, she's still pushing oh, everyone around, even in my death, even in your death, <laughs> in your death. So, you know, she, she ultimately has the say as to what's happening. Is that right? Yeah. That's interesting. And do you see, because you said you've been doing this, how long now? I'm on my own 37 years. I worked in the business for a few years before that. All right. So let's I, go, uh, could you say 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s, how things have changed since you started and evolved? Yeah. I mean, here in Simpson or, you know, most of the Northeast, you know, I, I don't, any particular town or city, you know, there's, there's several things that have changed. I mean, we're losing population. Okay. Um, people's ideas of funerals have changed people's attendance or involvement in organized sacramental religion has decreased right so all of those things kind of change you know tend to change things when i started in 85 on my own um we were still doing a viewing one night, an afternoon and an evening viewing the next day, and then the funeral the third day. And that was almost every funeral to the point now where we're seeing a lot of one day services. Get them in, um, get them out. People come in for an hour or two, and then we do a mass, we do a service in the funeral home or something, and then the person is buried or cremated or whatever the final disposition is. Oh, I see. What about the percentage um, of cremations versus uh, burials? Has that changed? That has increased. Yeah, that, that's increased. We still see in this community a lot of people doing a visitation and service first. So whether it's going to church for a mass or having a service in the funeral home and then being cremated. Although there's, there's other areas not terribly far away from us where direct cremation is by far a higher percentage. And by direct creation, I mean, no viewing, no service, no nothing. The person is just ultimately cremated after that 24 hour period. And I wonder why that is less, less family bonds, less close knit family members. You wonder why, I, you know, I don't know. I'm not. Yeah. There, I, mean, I think there's a few things that, it, that, you know, play into that. Yeah. People moved, move here from somewhere else. So there is no family bonds. There is no family ties. Some of it could be financial. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's different things that play into that. When I'm riding my bike, I'll often see in some rural places, Susquehanna, uh, Wayne, and even Lackawanna County, I'll see what looks like, and this goes back to what you said earlier, little graveyard cemeteries in 
in, in like people's yards. I mean, was it less regulated then? And they just had, here's uncle Fred and here's my wife. And let's just put them in the side of the yard, that kind of thing. You'll see. Um, these I don't know how much it they're was. Tilted over and yeah. I don't know how much, hundreds. how much it was or wasn't regulated, I guess. Um, but I think there were a lot more family cemeteries, especially in those farming areas. So I, I think that was not uncommon. Uh, yeah. yeah, isn't that something? Even in the community cemeteries, it wasn't uncommon for essentially like grandparents who were who passed away in the 30s, 40s, 50s to buy eight and 10 graves with the thought that every one of their children would be buried with them. And, and you'll find a lot of those graves are not necessarily used because the children moved uh, for jobs, work, whatever, and right. established families and roots somewhere else. And they didn't come back to Simpson, Carbondale, whatever the, the town may be. Boy, and uh, this is a little uncomfortable for me to talk about, but it's funny. This is human nature. Again, you were great with my parents in the whole process. And it was hard. Thanks. It's hard. It's hard for anybody. But I remember when I was going around looking at the various caskets, I remember thinking, this is no time to be cheap. And if I did want one of the lower priced ones, I felt I'm doing a disservice to my parents. And, and of course, it's not the matter of the price, but you're almost, you feel guilty if you cheap out then. And you and were I so, it's, it's just human nature. It's like, you're put in that position. You're like, oh God, it's not like you're buying a car for, for, for a cheap car that's going to break down. This doesn't matter, but yet you think you have to get the best. It's weird the way the brain works. You get that a lot? I think people feel that. I yeah. think there's, there's definitely a feel for that. I mean, two things I can say to that. Number one, that's why I encourage prearrangements. Yeah, nobody's another dead. good reason, right? Hey, no, when I'm nobody's preparing this, deceased. it's over. Nobody's deceased. You make your own choices. You make your own wishes, you know? And then with some changes in, in the law and, and the way funerals are handled, we basically are, are selling to the families caskets for basically the price we get them for anymore. Um, we don't mark them up only because I don't know if you are going to choose cremation or if you're going to bring a casket in that's, that you bought at Costco or somewhere <laughs> else because it's legal and I have to accept that casket. I've seen the flyers in the Sunday paper. Yeah, so I have to accept that casket. So I, from a business standpoint, I can't gamble every time someone comes to my door. I see. So we charge more for what we physically do and less on caskets, vaults, urns, all of those other items. Because, you know, if you come into to, to our funeral home today, I, you know, I don't care if you buy the $700 casket or the $4,000 casket, yeah. I'm making the same amount of money. So I'm not trying to push you or persuade you actually you know the converse is true now i'm going to say to you you know what joe this is is a nicer option it's a little bit less money because i want you going out the door feeling better next week that you didn't overspend right and that you brought up the best point of the day is pre-arrange because then if you pre-arrange now the pressure's off the family members because if I prearrange my funeral today with you, I'll get the cheapest casket, the cheapest everything, the cheapest this, the cheapest that. And then my family can come to you and say, well, he did it, not us. So I guess we're going with the cheapest everything. We're off the hook. We're off yeah, the we're hook. Off the hook. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So what is required when you do um, put a body into the uh, earth? What, what are the bare bone essentials? Um, essentially, I mean, you could do a thing that's called direct burial. So when you do a direct burial, or there's a thing called green burial. Right. Um, so as far as merchandise or items, if you were to go to a green cemetery, yeah, the person is Sounds very, trendy. it is, it is. Um, there's none locally. Um, I think there's one up outside of Ithaca. There's one or two down in the Lancaster area. So they tend to be hybrid. So they're regular traditional cemeteries that you think of right. with a green area. So the green area doesn't use vaults. Oh. Uh, a lot of times either uses like a cardboard fiber board or wicker casket. Sometimes the body is just buried in a shroud itself. Oh. There's, there's no grave markings or anything like that. So, so that's until, a bare minimum. Oh, I didn't know that. So then you're one with the earth. And I imagine, are you right. still allowed to use uh, the formaldehyde products? Because now I imagine they don't want to toxify the, the soil. Right. So, so most of those people are not, not that you can't be but a lot of those people tend not to be embalmed. Isn't that something so, I never heard of that? So th these yeah, things are not really regulated. Although, for example, if you go to a church cemetery, they're not going to allow that in most cases, right? Right. And that's regulated not by the state, but by the cemetery itself. Uh -huh. And most cemeteries around here require an outside concrete, what we know as a burial vault. Gotcha. In the old, so the old, on a similar subject, the old six feet under that everybody says, I'll do this when I'm six feet under. It's not six feet, right? So maybe to the bottom of the grave at six feet, the state talks about 18 inches of dirt from the top of the lid of the vault to top of the, the lid of earth, the vault to the earth, to the earth surface. Yeah. A foot and a half. Yep. Wow. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be six feet. Where did, I wonder where that even came from. I think they were talking about how how deep they may have dug them right to the bottom of the grave I'm, I'm assuming that's where it came from so most of the ones you see are they digging down about five six feet first at least yeah i would say so you know i, what I if mean i come to you and i put in my uh my burial arrangement i only want to be a foot and a half under well so th that's to the top of the outer container yeah so the and then it goes back to three feet but it's only we're only talking about to the top of it, right? Yeah. Okay. So you, you know, you have to leave room for the container. Right. Or the ball. I, I still think I can come under six feet. I'm going to go, I'm going to be a shallow. Oh, I, I believe you can. I believe you can be less than six feet, but you're, you're a foot and a half and the vault is probably three and a half okay. foot high. Yeah. You know, so you're, you're, you may not be six, but you're, you're creeping there. You're in that direction. <laughs> well, when I do the, uh, when I die of the snake bite and we're on the Appalachian Trail, you're just going to probably a little bit of dirt on top of me, right? It's going to be a little bit of dirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about mausoleums? Now, how does that enter the whole scene here? I mean, that's the opposite of what you said with the green burial. Now it's kind of, it seems a little bit more elaborate and expensive, but that's just my prejudice. I don't know if that's true. It, it doesn't have to be, but it, it can be in a lot of cemeteries because of their cost of operation and, and their staff. A lot of times the burial overall charges for the grave, the vault, a stone, 
is going to be the same as or very close to, you know, a mausoleum crypt with the lettering and stuff. So when someone dies, we, you know, after the service, the casket, we go to the cemetery. So you're either being buried or you're being placed in a mausoleum crypt. The casket goes into a crypt. And that's a crypt is more just like a, like a, it's almost like a cement cylinder type thing. It's, it's protected. Yeah. Yeah, usually, I mean, usually they're not, there's, there's very few family ones uh, because of the expense. So usually they're community ones and yeah, it's, it's essentially the size of the casket to put a casket in. Sometimes they're head to head for a husband and wife. Right. Um, but to, that's, that's what they are. To me, you're putting an awful lot of faith in the human race, because what if in a hundred years, 200 years, you know, America doesn't even exist anymore. And it's some Mad Max world. Now all these buildings are on top of the earth and who knows what's going to happen, right? Well, I don't know. I think we had that conversation at a party one night. What was going to happen long, long after we're gone? Yeah, well, I know this, that the ice age will be coming back. So there's going to be a mile wall of glacial ice coming all the way from the Arctic over all of these cemeteries and tombstones. And this whole area is going to be glaciated again. It went through about a dozen or so cycles. And it's coming oh, really? back. So everything on our surface is going to be scoured out by glaciers. It might be thousands of years in the future, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. That's the, sci- right. that's the scientific fact. fact. All right. Uh, one of my last requests for you, do you remember I asked you this? I said, okay, I definitely don't want cremation because speaking of the future, I, my plan is this. I'll make arrangements with you. And then I'm going to put on my headstone, please clone me and bring me back. That's going to be right there with my name. So now I'm thinking a future civilization, whether it's 50 years, 100 years, 300 years, 500 years, they're cloning people. But they're like, well, I don't know. We, we can't disrespect the, these people that have been buried or, of course, cremated. Then your cells are gone. But look at this guy. He has right on his tombstone, bring me back, clone me. He's basically giving us a sign. Go do it. And go do it. So I may then be brought back in the future because I'm going to have that on my headstone. What do you think? I don't know. It's possible, <laughs> I guess. Because <laughs> my cells will still be intact like we're cloning woolly mammoths and things. I can be brought back. I'm going to be the only one. You'll be back at 16 by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think I got a good plan. This is, this is, this is my plan to uh, eternal life or semi-eternal life. Clone me, written right on my headstone. (laughs) Bring me back. Well, this was an excellent conversation. I appreciate it. The only unanswered question, and I'm still confused about, otherwise you educated our audience immensely, is why wouldn't you just bury me after the snake bite? (laughs) It's going to be a long walk for you to get back to civilization. You have to do that. You can't just leave me there. Okay, so we'll put you in a little bit of dirt, and we'll go back and call the authorities when we get back. Okay, but at least I'll be protected for a day You'll or two be there. before you get back because they'll have to bring okay. the helicopter. There's no roads or anything. That, that, right. But the problem is if I go on a hike with Joe and Joe doesn't come back, the first thing they want to know is what did you do with Joe? <laughs> yeah, and then you say snake bite and they go, yeah, right. Yeah, right. sure. <laughs> All right, Joe, this was outstanding. Did we leave anything out? I think that's that's the biggest thing, you know. That's yeah, the I think we, we covered everything. This is a curious subject, and I, I can almost say certainly whether people wanted to admit it or not, 
every human being is a little afraid of death, if not scared to death of death. And I am. So uh, the more we learn about it and educate ourselves, I guess the better we'll all, all be. And you helped us do that. Thank you. All right. Is there anything you would like to uh, tell the uh, listeners in case they want to find you? They can look you um, up anywhere, anywhere on the uh, internet or just come and visit, right? Yeah, come and visit. They can call us at the funeral home number 570-282-3090 or go on the web, scotchlessfuneralhome.com and they can see us. We'd be happy to sit down and answer your questions even if they didn't use me. I mean, there's, there's still, the questions are gonna be basically the questions. You know, we have people, I had a woman a few years ago that did her pre-arrangement and then decided she was moving to Puerto Rico. So she contacted a funeral home down there. We sent all the arrangements down to there to the funeral home in Puerto Rico. Wow, yeah. So, so things you'll, can you'll, travel. You'll handle you. any situation. You got it. Well, I know you, you know I mean this in the right way, but I hope you never have to uh, deal with my body. You're just a little bit older than me. So hopefully I'll go, uh, you know, later on before you retired after or way after you're retired. There you go. All right. We'll leave it up to someone right. else. Okay. Perfect. No, no one wants to see me naked. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe dead, but not naked. There you go. <laughs> wow. All right. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Joe. Bye-bye. Curiosity. What are you so curious about? Everything. Mr. Curiosity.